1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Aaron Stahl. He is CEO and co-founder of P3 Cost Analysts. They help companies figure out how to save money by looking at various expenses that they have and finding areas where they're being overcharged, where they're paying too much for services, where they're paying for services they're not using. A really interesting business. I love businesses that figure out how to (laughs) reduce expenses. I think one of the challenges of growing companies, certainly service-based companies, is you know as you scale the business you're scaling all the expenses you're scaling sometimes all the problems and if you don't take the time to figure out how to solve those problems, to really get these items in line before you really focus on growth, you can just kind of exacerbate problems. So I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited to learn more about Aaron and his business. With that, Aaron, welcome to the program.
0: Hey, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah. So I always love to hear the backstory, of how people got into the business they're in. How did this come about? How did you get into the this kind of looking at expense line items and finding opportunities for savings? What was the story here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it really it starts out in college, really. My junior year of college, I was starting to see my friends get ready, get geared up for internships or graduation and getting, you know, quote, real jobs. And I started to realize that that was going to mean a nine to five and a suit and tie. And that really terrified me. So I just started looking for ways to make money myself. And during that time, real estate was actually starting to boom. And so I put a team together, people that actually knew what they were doing in real estate. And we went out and built some Spec Homes, made a little bit of money there, but while that was kind of my first foray into business and entrepreneurship, and while I was doing that, I realized that wasn't really the business that I wanted to do forever and the recession was starting to kind of kick in as well. And so we got out of that industry just at the right time. Still got burned a little bit. But while I was kind of getting out of that industry, I was looking for other industries to get into, other businesses to start. I looked at hundreds of different business ideas. And I really liked the idea of being in the cost reduction field because I figured People would like having me around if I was able to help save them money. And there was a, a company out of Florida that was training people on how to become waste consultants. So I went down there, got trained by them, and opened up shop in northwest Arkansas. There wasn't really anybody in the Midwest kind of doing that. And I was armed enough to be, be dangerous, but certainly certainly wasn't wasn't an expert yet in my early 20s. But I spent the first couple years actually calling on Fortune 100 companies like a total idiot, thinking I was going to land some big monster Deal and save them all this money on their trash and recycling. But needless to say, that wasn't uh, the easiest thing to do. It didn- never got through the red tape. And so I changed my focus and started small and signed up a few local businesses, gas station change, restaurant groups, that sort of thing, and saved them you know, pretty good lick on there waste and recycling and kind of hired people from there as the income of the business grew and and kept adding more and more cost reduction services to grow into the business that we are today.
1: Yeah. yeah. And tell me what goes into the kind of cost reduction strategy. I mean, this is kind of knowing how, you know, how the the process works and finding efficiencies. Is it doing the analysis on the bills themselves and finding inaccuracies? Like what is it that you actually do when you come in and engage with a client?
0: Yes. I mean, we, we go and talk to the C-level Executive, the owner, that sort of thing, and our proposition is pretty simple. If we can save you money using our expertise, we share in those savings fifty-fifty. If we can't, there is no fee, so it's completely risk-free, guaranteed to be cash flow positive, and and we look at expense categories like utility, telecom, waste, uniforms, linens, merchant processing, those types of categories, and review the invoices looking for errors, overcharges, and opportunities for savings. So we've worked at 30,000 client locations nationwide at this point. And in in each individual category, we've got a whole lot of, of expertise. So I think it really just boils down to on a high level, everybody focusing on what they're best at. So my background at this point, I'm, I'm certainly an expert in the waste and recycling field. But if you gave me a telecom invoice, I'm not going to be able to help you very much or utility invoice. But we have auditors in-house that specialize in those categories. And so we're really bringing business as an opportunity to plug that expertise into their business and only if we're able to help them save money, do we actually share in those savings. And we find savings at nine out of every ten companies we work in. So these are just they're just highly complex industries, and they're rife with errors and overcharges. And if you specialize, you're going to find savings.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious, you know, as you've built your own service-based business here, how you mentioned you started in the uh, waste and recycling. How did mm-hmm. you go about adding some of these other services? Was this primarily seeing need, like you had customers that, that you saw opportunities and you went out and found capabilities or did the capabilities sort of find you and you figured out how to sell them into your existing clients? Which came first, the chicken or the egg on this?
0: Oh, <laughs> well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, when you when you help a client save a lot of money, they begin to look at you like a trusted advisor. And that's certainly where we try to position ourselves. So clients would naturally say, oh, you guys, can you guys save us money in this category? Can you look at this category? And so that would just really lead to us looking for ways to get in those categories and you don't just wake up and become experts in these fields so you either have to to find other experts to partner with or acquire that expertise and so we've done a little bit of both we did an acquisition in 2018 and acquired a company in North Carolina that had a lot of expertise in telecom uh, electricity and utility consulting so brought that in-house and really just kind of grow grow that same way bringing that expertise in-house So, we can deploy it and help our clients save money in multiple expense categories.
1: Yeah. And when you look at the option of sort of partnering versus acquiring, what's the, I guess, what's the calculus that you use or what is it like? How do you make that decision from your own
0: business point of view? I mean, it's really just a matter of available resources, both bandwidth and capital. I mean, in a perfect world, every single thing we do would be completely under our roof just for a control purpose. But sometimes when you're getting into a new category, that sort of thing, it makes more sense to partner. And so the, the, the model has been a little bit of partner first, acquire second. And I think that's a pretty, a pretty good model and it's worked well for us.
1: Anything. Cause I, I see this happening a lot in service-based businesses and where, where they, you have a, a client base uh, and you're providing one service and you, you, identify a need, you know, you're, you've got a relationship with, with a set of clients. You see a need across many of those clients and you, and you uh, decide that hey there's an opportunity here from a business point of view but either building out that capability internally it's going to be very expensive take too long you know dilute or cause you to lose focus on your core business and so you start looking at partnership opportunities I mean any suggestions any lessons learned that you've had in terms of either how to find the right partners how to set up the partnership in the right way you know how to keep it aligned as things kind of grow and change just kind of curious what you've learned around partnering you know over the years that might be valuable for some of our listeners
0: yeah i mean i've actually had a pretty good amount of experience in partnerships just every business that i've been into including the one i have now i have have partners in and so i think with any partnership where it's whether it's on like your side of the business or you're partnering with a company that you might potentially do business together for me it's all about setting expectations and being very very blunt with those because i want these types of relationships to go great not have any hiccups down the road And the easiest way to do that in my experience is just to say, this is exactly what I expect. This is what this would look like if it went wrong. This is what it looked like if it went right. And then get to know each other, walk before you run. Don't don't go off sprinting down the road and expect that to work out. But I think if you just find people that you can have those very frank conversations with, you'll know if you connect with them, right? And if you connect with them, there's good rapport, you have frank conversations, you build in some, some safety nets just with contracts and those sorts of things, and I think you'll be fine.
1: Well, I like that idea that that you actually contemplate, I kind of jokingly refer to it as you, you want to plan your divorce up front. You know, like how <laughs> if things don't go work out, what do you do? If things go sideways, how do you, you know, how do you handle the situation? What's the process? I mean, how do you actually do that? Is this Is this something that you figure it out or or you kind of develop a plan or a framework and come to the other party and say, hey, look, here's my proposal. Do you want to do this or not? Or is this something you – kind of develop together with them. I'm just kind of curious how you actually contemplate that. I guess it's always hard in the beginning of the relationship, you want to be positive, you want to talk about all the opportunities, but I think you're right. I mean, you you need to kind of contemplate, all right, well, this is how we handle it if something goes wrong, or this is how we handle it if we want to unwind this. How do you actually get that conversation going and and actually put pen to paper in terms of thinking through those scenarios?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, For me, it's just all about protecting the downside risk. And I think most business owners make those decisions daily, right? It's all about maximizing upside risk, minimizing downside risk. So whenever I'm talking to people, whether it's even an employee or a partner or whatever, uh, it's all about how do we maximize that upside risk, limit that downside risk. And so I think just... Talking about that has never really been a buzzkill for me. It's actually been like a, a lesson in finding zen, really, because you look at like what that worst case scenario is and protect against that. And maybe if it's not even that bad, if it came to fruition, but getting everybody on that same page really, it really helps ensure that you've got a good chance of having success there. So it's really just talking it through and then putting it in writing, I think. Tim Ferriss is somebody that I follow a lot, and he's got a really good exercise on uh, on fear setting, which is, is kind of looking at that worst case scenario and really visualizing it. And it sounds negative, but it actually ends up being a positive. And so I think just having those frank conversations with people and talking about that, to me is actually, that sounds kind of crazy, but it's fun because you're looking at, this is not, not likely to happen, but let's just talk about it in case it does and let's all get on the same page and... You know, go
1: for it. Yeah, it's interesting. We're And just for the audience reference here, we're beginning of almost mid-April here and everyone's kind of in the middle of COVID-19, the whole kind of pandemic crisis here. But I'm just making a connection to a lot of the conversations I've had over the last month with the CEOs that I coach and the companies that I work with, the leadership teams. One of the things I've encouraged us to do very quickly is talk about pretty drastic impacts over the next three, six months and actually spending quite a bit of time kind of going through it and really understanding, OK, to by department, what would you do? What do you need to do? if this really turns out to be the case. if you go to zero revenue, if you you know lose all your customers, like what would you do? And it's kind of that Zen, I like the way you put it. This, there's this kind of Zen state where once you do that and yes, it's ugly and mm-hmm. and it's not you know thinking about that possibility is not necessarily fun, but once you go through it and you have a plan, you realize it's, it's sometimes not as bad as you originally thought, right? So there's a certain yeah. amount of, it gets a little bit more like, oh, okay, yeah, this is bad, but it's not like horrible and, and, or it's not existential crisis here. Like we, we would survive. The other mm-hmm. thing is, is I think once you have that, once you've contemplated that and you realize you have a plan, it allows you to move forward with a lot more confidence and, and vigor, right? You can actually now go kind of go out in the world and start working on things without this kind of fear of unknown. Cause you know what it is. It's not good, but you know what it is. And I'm, I'm right. I think there's something of what you're talking about there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's really all about exploring that, that possibility just so you're comfortable going out there and investing the cash that you have, making big decisions. Because once you really kind of waller around in the in the potential downside, you get comfortable with it and it's not quite as scary. The anticipation is usually worse than the, the potential outcome.
1: Well, and I think that if you don't do that, your anxiety around Mm -hmm. the what if ends up actually holding you back on the upside potential.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, In terms of as you've grown the business, what are the things, I guess, what are some of the challenges, experiences, lessons learned that you've had around the scaling process as you've you know, whether you, whether it's through the acquisition process, internal management of the team, figuring out how to sell, changes you've had to make as a leader. What are some of the things that, you know, takeaways that you give to our audience in terms of when they go to grow and scale, things they need to look out for or might want to be aware of as they go through that process?
0: That's a great question. And uh, well, I can go a lot of different directions with this. I mean, I think first off, I'd say the decision needs to be made. Do you want to scale? And I mean, most of your audience has probably made that decision. But when I first started this business for the first eight years, probably it was a lifestyle business and it just allowed me to go travel quite a bit. And I spent six months in South America learning Spanish. And I just really tried to grow the business slowly and, and kind of maintain, if you will. And then uh, I think it was 2014, uh, one of my partners bought into the business and then gave away some shares to one of the first employees that I had and then I had another partner buy-in. So at that point, it really turned more into a company that we were growing, scaling, that sort of thing, a real business versus a lifestyle business. And that fundamentally changes the way you work. I mean, if you're a founder out there and you're used to working out of your home office and just being lean and mean, and then you start making the decision to scale you've got a lot more interesting things that are going to come up in the future and, and a lot of those things just be like scaling your employees like do you need an office where you know what does that look like and i think for me i've always worked out of my house that's just what i'm most comfortable with and so when we finally started growing and scaling i'd be sitting in the office and i just couldn't get anything done like it, i just i literally couldn't get anything done i just hear people talking and like and and that was kind of interesting and like i think fortunately for me one of my partners has a lot of experience kind of in the corporate world. And so he really understands how people that are not entrepreneurs or want to be the CEO think from an employee level and how like those office dynamics work and those sorts of things. So that really helped me out a lot having that that expertise there, that experience there, because the, um, just the HR side of things, the employees, just the, the dynamic as the company grows, how that changes has been pretty interesting to witness. So, and I think, yeah, everybody's going to have challenges, but those are just um, you know one decision that I think people should make is whether they want to scale our lifestyle business and then think about some of those HR personnel stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, on the sales side, sales is always going to be tough. I think that's the hardest part of any any business with ours it's not like we're actually selling something or bringing money back to people's bottom line, but you'd still be surprised people find reasons to say no. And that can be that can be frustrating when, you, when you're batting 900, helping people save money, and they don't have to pay you anything. And you're literally bringing them a bucket of cash and asking for some of that back. Uh, you would think everybody'd say yes, but they don't. It's still sales. You still got to get out there and talk to people. And occasionally people are going to think you're trying to Screw them over, or look at you like you're a leper. You know, you gotta have thick skin and get out there and just do your thing. So, yeah, hopefully I answered that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, so the couple of things that I'd love to dig into. I mean, one, the first one for me is really this comment of you need to decide if you're going to scale your business, and I, I think that there is there's both kind of the internal question and the external question. The internal one, I think, is really a mindset one. I mean, I guess what what do you think? from your own internal kind of mindset and thinking either you had or shifted for you when you went from kind of seeing it as a lifestyle business to seeing as something you wanted to scale. What shifted for you in terms of Either how you thought about yourself as a leader, how you thought about yourself as a business owner, or from the business itself, what had to kind of change for you to kind of go from that lifestyle mentality to, I'm going to scale this thing mentality?
0: For me, it was when I took on partners. I mean, when I was the sole owner, and we had just a couple employees at the time, I ran the business pretty conservatively. still do. I was never worried about making payroll, any of those types of things. And so I really just did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and it was great. And so when I took partners on, though, my mentality shifted because it wasn't just about me anymore. I had to make sure that the partners that bought into the company got a good ROI on their investment and they saw their value grow. So it just fundamentally changed the way that I worked. Uh, it was less about me, more about the company, more about the partners, and then more about the problem that we're trying to solve and having a bigger impact out there on the world. So that was kind of a shift that I honestly didn't really contemplate. I just didn't really think or understand what those impacts would be as far as taking on partners and how that would change the way that I worked. So it was something that I honestly, like, didn't really debate a lot in my head, it just kind of happened. And that's why when when I'm talking to people that are making the similar decision, I, I do kind of slow them down a little bit. Because The last five, six years that I've been working, I've been working differently and it's been good. We've grown, we've done a lot of cool things and we're going big places. But the interesting thing for me is like, you can have a lifestyle business that you're really enjoying. It's doing, it's providing a nice financial benefit. And then you go to like this growth stage and you're basically in startup mode constantly i mean you're just just constantly growing and as you grow you have growing pains and and you're working harder than you ever have and so i think you just have to ask yourself what do you want i mean are you happy with 200 grand and a a nice easy lifestyle or do you want to have a lot more money down the road and, and help solve a bigger problem for the world out there and i think it's just debating that. I think the, the perfect world, right, is when you can get the bigger business to run like a lifestyle business, whereas you get to do just what you were born to do, right? So it doesn't even feel like work. And I think that's kind of the, the challenge of growing a business. And part of the fun part really is is trying to put the right people in place to where the business runs itself, where you don't have to be that guy wearing all these hats, doing all these things that everybody listening can relate to and you get to actually do just what you were put on the earth to do and it feels like a lifestyle business because every day you wake up and you do just those tasks that, that are most suited for you so i think that's the goal but i think if you'd be naive to think that you're going to get there going from a lifestyle business to a growth company there's definitely going to be a long stretch in there where you're back to startup mode is what it feels like
1: yeah uh, it's interesting because I, I have this conversation a lot with founders, you know, who come to me and they, they want to grow their company or they want to sk- start scaling the company. We have, we kind of have to have this heart to heart because it's it really is as a lifestyle business. You have a lot of control. But you kind of trade off this kind of responsibility where, you know, you have a lot of control over the business, but you also are responsible for running most of the business, right? I mean, uh-huh. even if you have some key people in places, you know, as a lifestyle business, you're still, you know, at the end of the day, kind of the senior leader involved. As you move into growth mode, one of the key things I always talk about is surrounding yourself with a team that is most likely better at better than you at a lot of these roles and you have to be a little more humble, like you have to give up a lot of that control. But the benefit is you've got a lot more resilience or a lot more, you know, ability to focus on just the things that you're excellent at. But you've got to give up control on a lot of a bunch of things. And and honestly, some people, that will be a good transition and they will thrive. In other cases, they won't. I mean, I've, I've mm-hmm. certainly had owners who have come to me and spend a year or two kind of scaling the business and then decide that, hey, that they don't like this. You know, they'd rather just go yep. back to the other the version than they do. And that's fine. But mm-hmm. I think it is a really kind of mindset thing. It, it sounds like, it's something that in the end has worked out well for you, but it's not something that you necessarily kind of sat on a, on a mountain and contemplated for 30 days before you made it. I guess how conscious do you think you were around it and how much of it was just, it's worked out well for you?
0: I think it's definitely, it's definitely the latter. It's just worked out for me. I've been very, very fortunate in business and life. And I think ultimately, like, like you said, it's, it's about surrounding yourself with good people, people that are both good people and smarter than you. And that's, you know, that's a lesson that I've, I have learned early on just, and also just from all the business books out there. I mean, any successful business person will tell you that. So I think for me, it was just kind of like, I ended up here by surrounding myself with good people, being fortunate and working hard. But that's why I, when I talk to people that have a little bit more time to debate this, you know, they might be sitting on a nice business, making them 300 grand a year, and they work 20 hours a week and get to hang out with the kids all they want. I'm like, just sit down and Go find that mountaintop because uh, you're, you're in a position where you can think about it. But no, I've been I'm very fortunate, and uh, yeah, we're doing a lot of cool things, which keeps me excited.
1: That's great. And where have you found good people? I mean, kind of as you've kind of surrounded yourself, how I guess where did you find them, and what was the process for identifying them? How did you kind of decide whether they're the right people? How do you uh, you know how do you manage that team or manage those relationships over time as you know as the business changes, individuals change, you know, keeping everyone aligned on the same page. Dealing with things that come up that might be divergent, but you know, kind of mm-hmm. managing that process, give us some insights.
0: I mean, most of the people that that I've found have just been through my network, my extended network, friends or friends of friends. So I've been I've been very fortunate there. I've got a lot of a lot of good friends and lean on them when when I'm looking for talent. And so that's really how I found a few of the key employees. And the other ones have just been from looking. I mean, I think. I think just getting out there and really looking is just the the name of the game. I mean, a lot of people might overthink that, but it's if you get out there and look and then talk to people and and you're very frank with the expectations and they come to work for you, then it's going to work itself out because they wouldn't have decided to take that leap if they didn't trust you, trust the vision and have those frank conversations. And then ongoing while the business grows, I think that's where it gets a little trickier because you're right. I mean, as the business grows, people's roles change. They may feel forgotten about. They may get feel like they're pushed down in the organization or something. And that's, you know, that's not really the case. It's just as the business grows, attention gets diverted. and It's just natural. So I think that's where you have to continue to not bury your head in the sand, have frank conversations with people, talk really about what they want. I mean, that's Those are the types of conversations that I have with partners, partnerships, employees, like, what do you really want? What are you looking for? What does this look like for you long term? And really just constantly be checking in, trying to make sure that you're meeting those expectations with people, because then they're going to be they're going to be happy. And if they're not happy, you can work to find a role inside of the company that will make them happy.
1: Yeah. And do you run into cases where when you ask the question of what do you want, they're not quite sure (laughs) and how do you deal with that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean sometimes, but I think when people reflect on it, they you know, they eventually get to an answer. So sometimes you have to kind of help peel that onion, those layers of that onion back there to to get to the real answer. But most people deep down they know they know what they want, certainly in a business setting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess strategically thinking about the business and where you take things, I mean, what's what's your future plan in terms of growth, strategy? Are there areas that, you know, new areas you're planning on adding? I guess, what does the world look like for you as you think about growing and scaling the business?
0: Well, going forward for us, we're, we're 100% focused on growing as a franchise. And when I was early on in the business and it was a lifestyle company, it was certainly like chase every shiny opportunity and see what can make money. And fortunately, over the last few years, we've really just put the blinders on and focused solely on growing as a franchise. And we've seen a lot of of benefits from that laser focus. So our franchisees are out there. They focus on the business development side of things. So their role can really be more Equated to like an insurance agent owner, they're out there building those client relationships, explaining the suite of services that we do, but they're not the ones actually doing the auditing or underwriting the insurance, right? They just manage those client relationships, bring new clients in the door, and then we help save them money and everybody gets a percentage of those savings. So that's how we're focusing. We've got... 12 right now should have several more in the next 30 days. And I think we're going to be really rocking and rolling over the next 12 months as well. So that's, that's a hundred percent where I focus at. We've got to make sure those franchisees are successful and making money and yeah,
1: yeah. I'm curious in terms of, I mean, that, that is a particular kind of growth strategy. What did you realize about the nature of your business or the market that, you know, had you kind of land on that particular way of growing and scaling business? And I ask because I think that a lot of service companies kind of run into this problem. It's like, how how do I grow my company without necessarily just, you know, multiplying my staff? Right. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think your growth strategy is, you know, an interesting one in terms of leveraging, you know, figuring out what parts you wanted to leverage in terms of third parties and the and the franchise model, I guess, how did it become clear to you that that was the way to do it and how anything about how you're setting it up that's unique or different?
0: Mm-hmm. So in our, our business is unique probably to some of the people listening that we don't ever get inbound phone calls. Nobody calls us. Nobody calls us thinking that they're overspending on their electric bill or a waste bill or something. It's just not, it didn't cross their minds. So All of our business acquisition is done through direct outreach, uh, reaching out to business owners, C-level executives, that sort of thing. And so because of that, it's really just all about those personal relationships, physical outreach, meeting people in person, talking to them on the phone, that sort of thing. And so it really lent itself more to that sales force, if you will. You need people out there actually touching people, talking to them. It wasn't like we could just scale our Google ads and then have people in-house answering the phone or set them up on a certain plan, that sort of thing. And then the company that we acquired in 2018, they'd been around for a long time and they had an affiliate program where they were training people how to go out and market this particular business. And then they were the back-end consulting piece. So the, the affiliate would go out there, onboard the new client, send in the invoices. And then the company we acquired would be the ones behind the scenes doing the actual auditing to deliver those savings to the client. And that that model made a lot of sense. There was a lot of barriers to growth there under the affiliate program, and so it just made sense. We saw a big opportunity. Hey, let's let's acquire this company. We've already been working with them for years on the utility and telecom side. Let's acquire them. We'll convert the affiliate program into a franchise and just grow under one brand. And and so that's what we did. And it's just a it's a really really big opportunity for franchisees out there. People that um, want to be in the B two B world want to build up residual income, not have a whole lot of overhead or employees. And so it just, it's a great opportunity for them it's a great opportunity for us to grow because it requires less capital and it's easier to scale. And so that was just kind of our decision-making process.
1: And when you go to look for, I guess, how do, do you recruit franchisees? Do you, uh, do you have networks to find them? How do you select? Are there criteria that you use? What's your process for kind of building out your franchisee network?
0: Well, right now, we've mainly been relying on the broker community. So there's a whole community out there of franchise brokers that will find people that are looking for business opportunities and they'll present them certain business opportunities try to find out which one is the best fit for them and then they get a success fee if they close that's been our strategy for finding new franchisees as far as like the franchisees that that we want to work with i mean for me it all goes back to first off they got to be good people because if if they're successful in our organization there's probably gonna be some point where i'm hanging out with them drinking a beer and i want to make sure that people in our company are you know similar mindset and good people and fun to hang out with but as far as Professional criteria, yeah. I mean, it certainly helps if they know a lot of people have kind of a Rolodex they can lean on because this is this is a pretty simple proposition, right? You can if they know other business owners and they can say, Hey, we can use our expertise to save you money. And if we do, we share in the savings. If not, there's no fee, they can really hit the ground running, onboard a lot of those people they know quickly and then get references from there and be be off the ground. But we've had I mean, we've had people that are successful even we had one guy who was a former firefighter and had no B2B or business development experience, and he's been doing great. So it's just it's all about being good people first, willing to learn a system, and then working hard, really.
1: No, it makes sense. Aaron, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about P3 Cost Analysts, what's the best way to get that information?
0: Yeah, I think the easiest way is just email, which is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at analyst with an s.com and then you can also find me on linkedin but yeah i appreciate you having me on bruce
1: yeah i'll put the links in the show notes so people can click through and get that yeah it's fascinating i mean both in terms of thinking about businesses how businesses can save money that they hadn't you know sort of thought of but also just your story of how how you founded the business and and grown it and scaled it and the whole franchise model i think it's a great a great case study for companies that want to service-based companies that want to scale their business is a good good lesson to learn so i appreciate your time today
0: yeah thanks bruce